very much to everybody who um, prayed or contributed in the songs. I think every single one has contributed in some way <laughs> to my talk, so I feel very much encouraged. Uh, I'm going to move slightly this way so I can see the screen too. Okay, we'd like to look, look, turn to Psalm 92, please. If you're new and you've not been to our church before, we have been working through the Psalms. Not for a full 92 weeks, but <laughs> with uh, various gaps in between. And I'm going to be talking about Psalm 92, which I've titled as Good to Give Thanks to the Lord. And I'm going to see if the pointy press machine also works. Marvellous. Okay, I'm going to read through, if you'd like to follow along. It is good to give thanks to the Lord and to sing praises to your name, O Most High, to declare your loving kindness in the morning and your faithfulness every night. On an instrument of ten strings, on the lute, on the harp, with harmonious sound. For you, Lord, have made me glad through your work. I will triumph in the works of your hands. O Lord, how great are your works. Your thoughts are very deep. A senseless man does not know, nor does a fool understand this. When the wicked spring up like grass, and when all the workers of iniquity flourish, it is that they may be destroyed forever. But you, Lord, are on high forevermore. For behold, your enemies, O Lord, for behold, your enemies shall perish. All the workers of iniquity shall be scattered. But my horn you have exalted like a wild ox. I have been anointed with fresh oil. My eye has also seen my desire on my enemies. My ears hear my desire on the wicked who rise up against me. The righteous shall flourish like a palm tree. He shall grow like a cedar in Lebanon. Those who are planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of our God. They shall still bear fruit in old age. They shall be fresh and flourishing. To declare that the Lord is upright. He is my rock and there is no unrighteousness in him. I was quite happy to be given this psalm. <laughs> some of them quite tricky. Some of them have their more than their fair share of dying and killing and wicked perishing. But this has some good points in it as well. <laughs> um, as a psalm, it's not really distinguished by many things. We don't know who wrote it. We don't know when it was written. It doesn't fit into any particular uh, sort of collection of psalms. It's not a messianic psalm. It's not a penitent psalm. It sort of stands on its own. But it does have one unique feature. At the very title, and you may say in your Bible, it's a song for the Sabbath. And there's another reason why I was very happy to get this particular uh, psalm, because there's a relevance, personal relevance to me with this. I'm not Jewish. <laughs> um, you got the impression from the psalm that the psalmist is joyful. <laughs> he jumps straight into it. And it's a song for the Sabbath. If you don't know, the Sabbath started way back at creation. The world was created in six days, and on the seventh day God rested. And God told Moses later on the Mount of Sinai that you shall celebrate the Sabbath day, the seventh day, as holy unto the Lord and to rest. And traditionally, always, it's been a day of rest, a day of celebration, a day of praise and thanksgiving to God. And this was a song to be sung, uh, enjoyed, rejoiced, uh, to celebrate with everybody. And 
it's quite likely as well, reading through it, that Jesus himself may well have sung this song. It may well have been sung regularly and on Sabbath days and also in Passover, uh, commentators write. It was probably sung on the Passover. And you may recall from Mark 14:26 at the end of the Last Supper, they sang a hymn together before they went out to the Lord. So who knows? It might be this one you're reading. Jesus may have sung this first. The personal part. As I say, we're not Jewish. My mum had Jewish friends, and she learnt a lot about the, the Sabbath uh, by attending one with them. And she had the bright idea, <laughs> why don't we do it for a while? Not out of um, some sort of legalistic sense, let's, we must go back to the old traditions and become Judaizers and <laughs> everything else. But just as an exercise, the Sabbath is, was a time to remember God, to praise God, and to sit down together. And we did that. Uh, for a large part of my childhood, every Friday after school, we would sit down uh, and have a great roast lamb, mint sauce, lots of roast potatoes. Uh, this is the strongest memory in my mind <laughs> of what we did on the Sabbath. But also, I do the second memory of it is quite painful for me um, because I had to pray for my parents, and I had to pray for my brother, and I had to pray out loud which for you know, an early teenager is very embarrassing. But I found it very good. It was good for my soul. Painful, but good. Oh, good, it's working. I thought it would all come at once, but it is actually coming up line by line. So, the, as I say, the psalmist launches himself into it. You get a feeling, you know, what's on his heart. He's just bursting out with it, and he comes straight out. It is good to give thanks and praise. His reasons he gives for your steadfast love, for your faithfulness, for your good works, he just pours out with um, reasons for why he is just brimming over with thankfulness and praise to God. There is much to be thankful for. I don't need to go into details. I'm sure we all agree that God has done much for our lives personally and well, I don't need to go into <laughs> I'll come to that later. There's much more. He is worthy. We've s- Belinda brought that passage, which I thought about reading out myself, but she brought it. He is worthy. The Lamb is worthy uh, to be praised. And the Hebrews in the Old Testament knew full well that their God was worthy of praise. Um, they had the whole sacrificial system going on that their almighty holy God almost demanded praise, uh, demanded sacrifice, demanded not in a tyrannical way, but he was holy and he needed um, to be praised and worshipped. And if you look at verse 2, it says, by day and by night. That is actually a reference to the sacrificial system. If you, in the... Psalms, if it has that kind of poetical description, it often refers to the sacrifices which were given by day and by night. Um, So I think the psalmist is probably thinking of that at the time. Um, Obviously, we no longer are under the law, and we don't have to give uh, the sacrifices anymore. We thankfully don't have to slaughter any lambs before we come to church and uh, 
wipe their blood all over the altar as we come in. Um, you'll be thankful of that. <laughs> but also, it, verse 2 gives us the impression that you know, by day, by night, worship and praise is a continuing process. It goes on in our lives daily, onwardly. So not just through sacrifices, but we know in our lives our, it should be consumed with the praise and with the worship of God daily. I found it very interesting looking, actually looking at the sacrifices, getting past the blood and the fat and the offal and the kidneys and the everything else, that one of the sacrifices was called the free will sacrifice, which is given as a thanksgiving and a praise to God. And you could give it any time you wanted. And of all the sacrifices, um, it's one of the only ones where... I'm coming back to roast lamb again. The meat is given back uh, to to the, the worshipper. Not in most other sacrifices, the whole uh, sacrifice would be burnt up and totally consumed. But in this one, um, some of the meat was given back for the worshipper to enjoy, uh, for the worshipper to be in, nourished. And I think if that is a picture of anything, and I'm I'm guessing <laughs> that God is trying to tell us that you know, worship, praise me, give freely to me. I want to give back freely to you at the same time. Uh, put that in the wrong order. So it does us good to give uh, praise and glory and thanks to God. It does us good. It makes us feel good. We all know that when we uh, actually spend time together worshiping God on a Sunday. It lifts our souls. We know that. It's just common sense. <laughs> um, and I've put Christ as our example as well. Obviously, no one in the New Testament, gave more praise and thanks to his own father than he did. Uh, there are so many examples. If you want to look one of them up, it's Matthew 11:25. He just was brimming over with thanks. Lord, I thank you that you've revealed this to the simple rather than to the wise, as an example. Um, speaking as someone who probably takes himself a bit too seriously... Um, there's also another point about sacrifice and that could we look up, actually look up Hebrews 13 10 to 15 I wasn't going to read this but I think I will I can find it. This is where an electronic device is handy. <laughs> right. Hebrews 13. Ten to fifteen. We have an altar from which those who minister at the tabernacles have no right to eat. The high priest carries the blood of animals into the most holy place as a sin offering, but the bodies are burned outside the camp. And so Jesus also suffered outside the city gate to make the people holy through his own blood. Let us then go to him outside the camp, bearing the disgrace we, he bore. For here we do not have an enduring city, but we are looking for the city that is to come. Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that confess his name. How can praise be a sacrifice? And being someone who takes himself too seriously, a lot of the time, 
I often have had to sacrifice my own pride um, in my worship to God. I've had to sacrifice time to worship God. There is much that needs to be sacrificed daily in our lives. Um, And for me, it's quite embarrassing to, well, first of all, stand up here uh, and talk to you all, but also to pray out loud, to worship loud, to make a noise, a joyful noise. But if you're looking for precedence in the Old Testament, they're always making noise. <laughs> they're not often sort of uh, individually praying or singing alone. The majority of the times they're doing this. On an instrument of ten strings, on the lute, on the harp, with harmonious sound, uh, with I will triumph, that sort of implies singing with shouting involved uh, in the works of your hands. I I don't like doing that. Um, (laughs) But God, um, if you read Zephaniah 3.17, tells us that God rejoices over us with what? He's a singing God. (laughs) He's a musical God. Um, He loves joyful noise. And I have to sometimes sacrifice something, and that is my pride on the altar when I come to praise God. Because if this psalm is going to tell us anything, it's good to make a joyful noise. I found this very interesting too. The Hebrew word for thanks is yada. I don't know if I'm saying that right. (laughs) Um, Or one of the Hebrew words, rather. Yad means hand. Yada means this. And for those listening, I'm raising both my arms up in the air and stretching out to God. The, the Hebrews, the Old Testament, their understanding of thanks and praise involved physical action. It involved stretching out your hands, involved worshipping and reaching out. And when you think about it, it does seem entirely natural um, to do this. Um, are the Beltons here? No. Littlest Belton, whenever she comes up to me, does that. <laughs> it's like reaching up to your daddy. Um, reaching up, wanting to touch God. Wanting to extend yourself to him. I think it's entirely natural to want to raise your hands. Someone's asked me this before, you know, where in the Bible does it say you raise your hands? I don't want to raise my hands. But... There it is. (laughs) I think it's not, you know, I don't condemn anybody for not doing it, but it is um, almost natural to do that. Okay. I'm going to move on to the next verses. These are slightly more difficult ones. 6 to 11. If it is good to give thanks and praise, what is it then not to give thanks and praise? Um, Nigel's not here but in the spirit of Nigel I think it's time to embarrass someone in the front row and I was going to use Rupert but he would go along with it and I think Silas would be (laughs) a much more suitable target (laughs) so would Silas like to come up to me please, please bring your phone It's very simple. It's not that embarrassing. What I want Silas to do is to give me his phone. Oh, thank you so much, Silas. That's wonderful. 
That was a really generous gift. I really appreciate that. Thank you. Thank you so much. Should we try that again? Well, it's not Android, is it? Thank you. You notice a difference between the two. <laughs> the first was gratitude. It was thanks. Uh, it was appreciation for him. The other one uh, wasn't just a lack of gratitude. It was the reverse. It was the opposite. We all know instinctively that not to say thank you would be very rude. <laughs> it would be hurtful. Um, it would be a snub. He's my friend. He might have considered that even a betrayal. To not give thanks and praise is almost, well, it is the opposite. And often we know in the Bible there really aren't many shades of grey. <laughs> it's normally black or white. Um, and obviously, I come to the point now about perhaps the black. <laughs> a senseless man does not know, nor does a fool understand this, when the wicked spring up like grass and when all the workers of iniquity flourish, it is that they may be destroyed forever. Okay. This psalm does a lot of contrasting, the righteous and the wicked, the good and the not good. Um, it's difficult to talk about, obviously. It's not a pleasant thing to, to sort of talk about the wicked being wiped away and being lost. But uh, this psalm does. The... Reference to grass, I think some of the commentators sort of point to the fact in Bible times they had these flat stone houses and the grass would just spring up quite normally, quite naturally on top of the roofs quite often. But they had no soil. Um, and when the sun came out the next day they would die, wither up, and the day after that get blown away in the wind. We obviously um, understand then the seriousness of living a life of praise, uh, of thanksgiving, and not being one of the senseless men or the fool. The senseless man basically means the man who is ignorant, has no understanding of God. The fool is, the foolishness is a moral foolishness. He does know who God is, but he rejects God. To know God and to not give him thanks and praise is to reject God. And it's very similar, I think, to the, the very first sin committed in the Garden of Eden. It was a betrayal that rather than showing God the gratitude and thanks for what he had done, they were reaching for something else and for something they could have on their own. Thankfully, I'm going to skip past that I move to the contrast. God blesses the righteous. But my horn you have exhorted like a wild ox. I have been anointed with fresh oil. My eye has also seen my desire and my enemies. My ears hear my desire and the wicked who rise up against me. 
Uh, a lot of you may know what the horn represents uh, in the Old Testament. It's strength. Um, conquering chieftains would have their helmets and they'd have horns on it or just embellished horns on the helmet itself. And it was a, sig- uh, a signifier of power, of strength, of authority. Uh, rulers would wear lots of horns <laughs> on their clothing and sort of embellished on their clothes. So God is exalting us, giving us strength, giving us power, giving us authority. I've been anointed with fresh oil. And this oil is not the oil we'd read about when it, it's poured over the king's head or the priests to anoint them to, for, uh, for their positions. This oil is a reference to the kind of perfume or the... The oil that would be, if you're a host and you had some friends coming over and you were wealthy, you would get your perfume and you'd pour it on their heads. Similarly, like um, when Jesus had the perfume poured over his head. This is the kind of oil, the fresh oil, which it's referencing. And I find this very reassuring. (laughs) Our God is doing something very intimate Um, the psalmist recognizes that God is loving and intimate and is treating him like a friend and would pour the fresh perfume over his head. This is in stark contrast to, obviously, the wicked who die through their own separation from God. But now God is running to to us um, to lavish on us grace, which we've already sung about today. So we don't need to be afraid. But then I thought, how can I be sure I'm not a fool? (laughs) It's too tempting at times. Um, I don't thank God enough. Why didn't I thank him for that? I forgot. I don't praise him every day. I don't praise him day and night. Why don't I do that? Am I a fool? Am I a wicked man? Am I going to be blown away like the chaff? No. Not anymore. The psalmist may have had some uncertainty, but we don't have any uncertainty anymore. I'm wondering if anybody, Rupert, perhaps I could get you to read Romans 8, 1 to 11. The key to why we are safe is where we're planted now. I should have given him more warning. (laughs) I didn't want to do all the reading this morning. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace.
For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if in fact the spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit of life because of righteousness... If the spirit of him who raised Christ Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Jesus Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Thank you very much. I perhaps didn't need all of that reading, but I think it's worth reading (laughs) anyway. And that last uh, verse will also be relevant to later on. In Christ Jesus, there is no condemnation, but there is righteousness and life. I wanted to put this in just to make it clear to everybody here, whether you understand it or not. When you're in Christ, there is no condemnation. I've talked about the wicked and the righteous. And the psalmist gives the impression that it's in what you do. What we do is important, but it's not a matter anymore. In fact, the psalmist perhaps did have more insight that I'm giving him credit for. Because he knew it mattered most where you were planted. He doesn't make any claims to his own righteousness. But let's read this. The righteous shall flourish like a palm tree. He shall grow like a cedar in Lebanon. Those who are planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of our God. He knew it wasn't him. He knew it was where he was planted. He knew his heart was in Zion, in worshipping God. And similarly, we are now planted in Christ. And obviously the mind will think of John 15. Jesus Christ is the true vine, and we are now grafted into him. I thought this might be helpful. Plus it puts a bit of color into their presentation. (laughs) Uh, I hope there's nobody here who's done any uh, botany or any uh, (laughs) horticultural. No, tell me everything I'm saying is wrong. But that tree on the left is a palm tree. And I've actually seen these in the Holy Land. They're massive. Um, Palm trees are known for their height, their straightness, and standing upright. They are also known for the fact that they bear fruit every year, even into old age. They're also known for the fact they can carry heavy amounts of uh, dates, large bunches of fruit. And if it's too heavy on one side, it grows slightly to the left, the other side, just to balance it out. It can carry and bear with any, any weight. The one on the right is a cedar, Uh, they're known for their sheer size. Um, They're absolutely massive. And they can live for, well, over a thousand years. They're also known for their smell. They smell lovely. I've not actually smelled one. (laughs) Um, They're also known for the denseness of their wood. They're very valued as a, a, a building material because the wood is so dense and tightly packed. In fact, one of the commentators says it's for that reason that it got the reputation in olden days for incorruptibility because it was so 
dense and impenetrable. Now, is everybody here who can correct me on that? <laughs> I think the tree on the left, the, as it is actually from the Holy Name, I think this one probably, it's like Yosemite Park or something like that, but <laughs> they do occur in the Holy Name as well. This makes it fairly obvious to us, I think, what the picture, what the psalmist was getting at. The stark contrast to the grass. <laughs> there's, a, there's no comparison. And this is because, only because of God. Um, and the fact that being planted in him, there is life. The life that raised Jesus Christ from the dead in Romans now flows in our veins. And I don't know if it's coincidence, but it seemed right for me at this point to point to an example. And you get bonus points, but uh, no prizes, I'm afraid. If anybody can tell me who that is. Nigel Lloyd. <laughs> no, it's Steve says Nigel Lloyd with a small white moustache. Nobody recognise him? He's a big hero of mine. It is Smith Wigglesworth. <laughs> I've been reading about him. Um, and I just wanted to quickly just mention his story, just because he stands an example to me as, well, an oak of righteousness. He... If anybody wants to borrow the book, it's here. He lived until the age of about 87, I think it was. And on the day of his death, he was at a friend's funeral. And he was just walking up the vestry steps when he stumbled. Someone caught him, but he was already gone. And this laid him down. The doctor attending said, I can't see any cause for death anymore. He looks like a fine specimen of a man. <laughs> A dentist once knew him and said, you've got perfect teeth for an 80-year-old. It's amazing. Have you had work done? <laughs> he never had surgery. He never had any physical problems with his health, apart from kidney stones, which <laughs> passed, and that was a test of his faith. I'm not saying that we can all be blessed with uh, long life and perfect health, but as a demonstration of the life and the power of God, it was de definitely demonstrated in this man, who, if you don't know, he lived sort of late 19th, early 20th century. Um, he was a plumber by trade, couldn't read or write until he was in his 20s, but he was filled with the power of the Holy Spirit and went on to a ministry of healings, miracles, raising people from the dead, including his wife, and she told him, why did you bring me back, Smith? And she went again. Um, <laughs> it's true. If you, I'm plugging this book. <laughs> it's all in here. Um, <laughs> yes. He was famous in saying, oh, I never pray for more than half an hour. But I never go more than half an hour without praying. <laughs> he lived uh, a life abiding uh, in Christ. He lived constantly thinking of him. Um, he was in a friend's car and he said, Halt, stop. And the guy screeched to a halt. Said, What's wrong? What's happened? I haven't read my Bible in 15 minutes. And they had to stop for 15 minutes to, <laughs> to read. Now, I'm not laying uh, condemnation on you again for not sort of living like he did. But um, 
he's an example to me. A life that can be lived uh, in praise and in worship of God and abiding in him and living in him can be so much more than uh, we're living now. Uh, Smith, because I said he was nothing. <laughs> he was nobody. And he said, as soon as people start looking at me more than they look at Christ, I'm going to go. And that was a few days before his death. So, Romans tells us, And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who lives in you. So Smith would say, it's not who we are, but in whom we are planted. Jesus said, I am the vine and you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. But this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. Our task is not to achieve the righteous life, to achieve thanksgiving and praise, but just to abide. That's the trick. <laughs> Here's righteousness and life. When we tap into the vine, will start flowing through us. We don't have to force it through our veins. He'll pump it through. We just need to learn how to abide. Praise God. <laughs> and I've, I don't know how long I've been, but I'm already coming near to the end. The observant of you may have noticed that picture at the start. <laughs> For probably generations and centuries, the Sabbath was always celebrated with bread and wine. And at the start, they would always break the bread and drink the wine and pass it around and share it. The disciples probably wouldn't have been surprised when Jesus did that. But he added the new meaning, or the real meaning. And we've already talked about it today. And even though this isn't a messianic psalm, I've made it one. <laughs> I think the Bible just reeks of Jesus. And this psalm wasn't difficult to pick out the fact that Jesus is in here. He is the Lord of the Sabbath. We know that as well. And we have much to thank and praise him for. And I haven't really done more than that. <laughs> if the band would like to come up, there's probably more time for worship now. It's a more of a practical <laughs> presentation. But I thought as well, if we could all stand up and yada. <laughs> and actually just stand, close your eyes, raise your arms to God, and I'd like to pray. And if several people after me would just like to pray and just give thanks and praise to God, I think then it would be good just to finish with more worship. Oh, holy God. Lord Jesus, we have so much to be thankful for, not least of all your sacrifice. You are worthy, O oh Lord, to open the scroll. You are the lamb that was slain. You are that sacrifice that has been made for us. Jesus, we thank you. We praise you. We thank you for your body and your blood. We thank you that we have life in you, as Romans tells us. And we relish, Lord, in that, that we are saved. We cannot be touched. 
we are oaks of righteousness now in you and we have no condemnation. Lord, we thank you, we praise you, we want to give you glory and honor today. In your mighty name, amen.